Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Philip Hoffman. Hey, Philip, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll let you start by introducing yourself. Yeah, my name is Philip. I'm working for Sentry since roughly two years. And at Sentry, I'm a software engineer. I'm taking mostly care of the Sentry Cocoa SDK, which means iOS, macOS, tvOS, and also a little bit of watchOS. And I just make sure that SDK is properly maintained. And yeah, that's that's mostly it. Awesome. And I've been a big user of that SDK. And um, Oh, really? Yeah, I, it's been fantastic. And Sentry, obviously, has been a sponsor of us. It's probably one of the most robust error tracking and all the things we'll be talking about today that I think are super mm-hmm. important. We did an episode, you know, how long ago was that, with Jeff, Jeff Kelly, fellow Michigander mm-hmm. here who went to go work for a fruit company. But uh, we did this whole episode on tracking errors and measuring stuff and how important that is. And I'm really glad to have you on to get your perspective on it. You're, I think, one of the few people who've done Android development too, so... It'll be good. I think it'll be yeah. helpful for a lot of people because we don't really talk about how like errors do happen in applications. It's going to happen. Like we live in a world where things break uh, all the time. Networking, especially, is the biggest yeah. use case. But one things one of the things you've talked about in your blog posts is like measuring and tracking things besides errors. What are some important things that developers should know about when they're like building an app? What should they measure and track? Yeah, I think like, obviously what you just pointed out is errors are like the most common things that you should track, but not only errors are part of the user experience, right? So if your app is slow, uh, if it's not responding uh, or people not using it or something like this, this is all part of the user experience. So I think you should measure more things that have an impact on the user experience. And performance is also certainly a big, a big thing about uh, what you should measure. And I think still most people on mobile don't measure the performances of the app. So they just improve the performance if they find out while they're developing that the app is slow. Maybe some users are complaining about it. And I think you should also, yeah, have something that measures the performance out there in the real world. So not just, you know, when you have some, maybe some performance tests, integration tests or something that, you know, if your app is slow, but also you should know, hey, is my app really slow out there in the real world? And it's also important to note that I think most apps, hardly any app has no backend, right? So every major app has a backend. And also the backend is part of the user experience. So if your backend is slow, so it is going to be the experience that your users are going to have uh, on your app is also going to be slow. So I think you should also uh, link the whole system together and have a whole view of what has an impact on the user experience you're giving your users. Now, with with an app like Sentry, uh, it's a good question maybe to have is you mentioned something about back end and front end do you would you create one instance and share the same id or would you create two different instances what do you mean by id so let's say you have like a sdk api key or something right ah, should yeah. you create mm-hmm. two two instances one for the back end and one for the front end or should both of those be measured on the same instance simultaneously does that make sense uh, I think yeah, what you're referring to is this DSN, like where you say like it's the project you're going to send the errors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I would create different projects and different DSNs per kind of technology stack because Sentry is also doing a really good job if you link it together properly that you that you see those errors linked. For example, the the app, um, especially if you use performance monitoring, there is a concept called distributed tracing. So what you can do is we have some HTTP headers that we also automatically inject for HTTP requests if you want that. 
you send this ID then to the backend. And you could also measure the performance there on the backend. And if an error is happening during that transaction, that's like a thing that you measure for the, for the performance of your app. If an error happens on the mobile app and also on the backend, uh, you would see those things linked together inside Sentry. Nice. So you that's still awesome. have those. Yeah. You see, you see like the errors, like per technology stack, but if some errors are related and you set it up properly, you actually see those linked together. Hey folks, once again, I want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Revenue Cat. Revenue Cat is the way for app developers to integrate in-app purchases in your app. If you ever looked at the API when it comes to StoreKit, you know how complex it can be checking receipts, certificates, and then using that data to actually get a hold of your customers and, you know, be able to keep them informed of what's going on and deals that are coming up. So you know how important it is to have a tool like Revenue Cat in your toolbox. RevenueCat makes it easy for folks like you, app developers, to build, analyze, and grow in-app purchases, not only for iOS, but also Android and web, if you're on those platforms as well. There's no server code required. They do it all for you. So for you, it's just a few lines of code to get in-app purchase infrastructure, analytics, and integrations without managing servers. They're reasonable prices, and they are friendly for app developers like yourself. If you don't know how complex StoreKit can be, I definitely recommend checking out the episode I did a few months ago with Andy Bodeo, where we talk about the complexities of StoreKit and keeping track of your customers and receipts. So definitely check that link in the show notes below. Also, they have some really great tutorials out there and really great videos on their YouTube channel. So I'll post a link to that as well, talking about how important and powerful their dashboard is so you can constantly track your customers and know what's going on. So after you listen to this episode, Go to the link in the show notes below and sign up for Revenue Cat. Seriously, it's totally easy to get started and they're very reasonably priced. It's totally worth your time to check it out. And I want to thank Revenue Cat for sponsoring today's episode. So going back to our discussion about performance, what specifically should, especially in iOS, what specifically mm-hmm. should you track as far as performance is concerned? And what are some of the best ways to integrate that in your app, whether you're using mm-hmm. UI kit or like say Swift UI? Yeah. I think one thing uh, that like the first experiences your users are going to have is like how fast your app is launching. So one thing would be App Start, for example. You know, if your app is really slow, then especially like if you have apps like Google Maps or Apple Maps or things that you use on a daily basis or for tr- transportation and you just want to quickly check where what's, what's the fastest way from getting A to B or something... Or also if you maybe something like Twitter, where people just wait for the bus somewhere and I just quickly want to launch it and check something. And if your app takes three seconds to launch, uh, it's that's a really bad user experience. So I think that's one of the first things that you should measure. And also, for example, maybe what we think is important is animation hitches and glitches. So when you scroll, if the frames are rendering properly, uh, those are important things. And overall, also like the whole load times of your views, like how long does a view take to load until it's fully loaded? And yeah, those are, I think, maybe the, the most important things I think you should measure. And you had some, uh, we'll link to some of the blog posts where you get more in depth on that that particular part. And I know there's definitely been WWDC talks. Uh, I'll try to link to those as well, where they talk about how to optimize your launch times. Because, yeah, there, there's a lot involved that people should know about when it comes to launching an app and, and how to optimize that, especially in iOS. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole topic. I mean, you could do an, a whole episode, I think, around just that topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So one of the other things you talked about um, is user feedback. Do you want to explain exactly what you're talking about specifically there? Uh, user feedback. Yeah, I mean, user feedback is a very simple feature. So uh, we already had this on JavaScript for, I think, quite a few years. Uh, the whole concept is that um, if your app crashes or maybe there's some bad experience happening, uh, you can prompt the user uh, with your own dialogue or whatever way that you want and ask them for feedback and they can just write in, okay, this is my name and this is what's happened to me and I can just send you feedback and then you can look at this uh, directly at Sentry. Um, the good thing is that we also link those together with errors. So what you could easily do is uh, we have a par um, an API for uh, asking the Sentry SDK, hey, did I crash on the last run? And if, you, if I crash, just give me the error ID, the event ID, then I can prompt the user for some feedback and then I just send it to Sentry and Sentry will match those, that, that together. So you will see the user feedback and also the exact crash that happened with all the stack trace information that, that you need. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And then like the user can like s specify details and, and things like that. Kind of similar to what you get on a Mac, I guess, where like it says here, put in any notes, your app crashed, yeah. reopen or Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah, similar to that. How are you going to add that to the Apple Watch? Because I'd love to see that. But I have no idea how you'd get users to add, add, add feedback because it's already a pain in the butt to add text on an Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> so what are what part of the process of building an app should this be like thought about or implemented in when you're like planning out an app? Like at what point should you be like, okay, we need to start adding some of these metrics and some of these error tracking and things like that? I think it's as soon as you, I mean, if, as soon as you're starting to get serious, right? So if you want to launch it to the app store, uh, if, if you want to know if there's some bad user experience, I think it should be really like in the early process, the same where you set up your CI pipeline or I don't know, you think about how, what is our testing approach? I think it's like, one of the first things you should also think about when, when it comes to designing an app. I mean, if you're just doing a prototype and you just build something, you just quickly want to get some user feedback and you're pretty sure that you're going to throw it away, maybe you can just leave it out. But I think as soon as you start going to build a real app, a real product, I think it's one of like the key features that you need, like, yeah, like the things that I just mentioned. Like, well, even the prototype though, if you want to measure like user behavior, I guess that's kind of more like analytics though, right? Yeah, I mean, like if you, if you, yeah, just, yeah, that's analytics. I mean, if you're building a prototype, what I mean is like, if you find with it crashing, you know, if you give it to users right, and it's something right. that you quickly hack together just in a week and you just want to get some feedback if the idea that you have generally is good. And if you find with crashing, if crashes and you don't really care about it, maybe you can think, okay, maybe I'm not, I'm, then I'm not going to include it. I mean, still setting up something like Sentry is, like for just getting the crashes, it's really fast and easy. So I would even maybe do it then. But I've just said like, okay, maybe there it doesn't make sense. But everywhere else, I would say, even if you're just a very small, building a very small app and you launch it to the to the app store, uh, you should you should have something that uh, tells you when your app is crashing at least, yeah. What kind of information would you attach when you're measuring or tracking some of the stuff? Because I know like Sentry has tags, for instance. What do you think developers are missing out on when they add metadata to the, some of this information? I think that really depends on what you're building. I mean, especially as I also have a background in Android engineering, I was doing a lot of Bluetooth on Android. And whoever knows, Bluetooth in general is complicated and Bluetooth on Android was a nightmare. And for that, 
specific specific area, it was very crucial to us to know uh, on which different uh, devices and also operating system versions we get specific errors. So in this scenario, it is very crucial to know, okay, this is happening on Android 11 or maybe Android 10 on Samsung models. And I think this depends on whatever you're currently building, those, this, this metadata that you, that you want to get. So Sentry in general adds a lot of metadata for you. So um, like which device are using operating system level, which language is set, how much um, memory the device has, and and loads of different, in general, things that are kind of related to the device and the user where he is. Uh, but then I think, yeah, it's for you to decide what is important for me. So you can set tags to maybe put your users into different groups. I don't know if he has some feature enabled specifically, you can add a tag or something. And I think I would just think, okay, when, when I'm going to investigate this issue, what is important to me that I want to find out? And then you can attach this information easily to every event that you send to Sentry. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, you, you mentioned Bluetooth, but how about like networking? Are there anything specific to networking that you would recommend like our good best practices when it comes to tracking errors or measuring performance? I mean, what we hear quite often is that people would like to see the exact request to send to the backend. They would like to know like what parameters they passed on. And I think one of your previous uh, podcasts, the guy also explained that they were exactly putting this metadata uh, into Crashlytics. And then they exactly had, okay, when we see the error, they could go to the backend guys and tell them, okay, this was the exact request that we sent and this was the response that we got. And with Sentry, it's even cooler because we work on most common backend platforms, like we support every major backend language. Um, if you set up performance monitoring properly and, and you also get these trace IDs passed to the backend, uh, those two web requests are actually anyways linked together. So if the backend sends you back an error, you don't even need to add this all this extra information to parse it, to store it somehow, and then add it to Sentry because Sentry will do the magic for you and will tell you exactly, hey, this is the error that occurred in the backend. And it's then easy for you to reach out to the backend developers and, and tell them, okay, this is what we sent, this is what we got, and this is uh, what the problem is. Yeah, that's like really powerful because like if, if you don't know what the heck is going on on the back end, you don't know like what you're doing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask, though, is how about how can you do that in such a way where you respect the privacy of your users, I guess? You know what I mean? Because sometimes there's metadata or information that's sent that you don't necessarily, you shouldn't see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that case, I mean, what I just said, it makes sense. So you don't have to take the whole uh, request parameters, which might contain some sensitive data. You just make sure that I mean, but per default, we don't even attach this uh, to to the, the spans that we create. So it's just maybe the URL roughly where you're pointing to. But if you set up distributed tracing and you also make sure in the backend then you, that you don't send this uh, sensitive data to Sentry, um, you still get the link and you still know uh, what's going on without uh, leaking the personal information of your users. Okay, yeah, that's what I kind of figured. So if you have some of these errors or performance things, what are some tools that you'd recommend to help with fixing and alleviating some of these problems? Or what are some tools that you use? What are some development tools that you use to help you fix some of these issues, such as like, you know, networking issues and things like that? Like, again, I mean, the things that I just said, I mean, Sentry is really powerful at that. So you could, I mean, generally speaking, you could uh, manually attach to your, to your app and see what, what parameters are sent uh, to the backend and wait for the exact response and keep that 
you, you just track this. But what I also did um, when when I prepared for the mobiles, vitals, workshop, and blog posts, I also played around a lot with Sentry. Um, and it's sometimes really hard um, if you build an SDK to to still you know be in the perspective of the developers that are that are using it. What I really found most uh, valuable is trying to get these these two links between the front end and the back end. And the cool thing is also that even if you have a backend that's really huge with loads of microservices, you would still get the the, uh, the full picture. And I also found sometimes myself, you know, when I was trying to play around with an app, uh, because those profiling tools this Xcode, for example, uses uh, to show you like where are the slow parts of my application. So when I was building some parts in the Sentry SDK where I was thinking, okay, is this slow? Is this fast? Or uh, how would this actually look like in in, uh, in a real app? So I was just playing around with open source apps, bigger ones, Firefox, for example, because it's open source. I, I found myself playing around with, okay, I created my own Sentry transactions and sending them to Sentry because those are the specific points in SDK that I wanted to measure. And I saw those transactions in Sentry and I saw, okay, this is fast, this is slow. And I also saw the link between the front end and the back end. And this is really cool because... Because, I mean, you can play around maybe with, with some network intercepting tools or with Xcode profilers. Those are really, really powerful. But also sometimes for me, the learning curve is a little bit high because you need to invest some time to fully understand, okay, how does this work? Where do I see, like, how do I find out where are my points that I actually want to measure? And if you use a tool like Sentry and you're already familiar with the performance APIs, for example, and area uh, APIs, you just add a bunch of extra stuff and you don't need to even release it maybe to production. You just play around with it during performance, uh, during development and you would uh, see where are my slow parts in the application. That's, that's a lot of fun, actually. Hey, folks, I want to let you know about one of my favorite sponsors of the show, AppFigures. AppFigures is the leading platform for mobile app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization and competitive intelligence. If you're making money with subscriptions, you need to know how to stay on top of those numbers. And AppFigures is definitely going to be the way to go. They have some great tutorials and articles at appfigures.com that you can check out to help you get started on what you can do to help optimize your app. They also have a really good YouTube channel you can check out where they do things like This Week in Apps, where Ariel gives you updates on what's going on with the App Store, as well as live keyword takedown, so you can see how your app maybe could best optimize what keywords it uses. It's really easy to integrate with your app, and it's really easy to get started. So go ahead, go to appfigures.com, and use the special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. There's no reason for you to just go ahead and give this a try. Again, EMPOWER3030, Go sign up and use the code and get 30% off for the next three months. If you're worried about things like core metrics or MRR or churn, they make it easy for you to understand what's happening, and that will give you more time to grow your subscription business. A lot of us are making money with subscriptions, so you definitely want to see what you can do to best optimize your app, and AppFigures is the way to go. Also, take some time. Check out the episode I did a few months ago with Ariel. He really knows his stuff, and he knows what he's doing. So you'll definitely want to check that episode out. Again, once you've checked that out, you got a good idea on what to do with the App Store, then use the special code so you can get the reports you need from AppFigures. Use the code EMPOWER3030, get 30% off. Thank you so much to AppFigures for sponsoring today's episode. What, you mentioned something about networking tools. What 
networking tools have you used? Like, I've been a big fan of Proxy Man. That's one I've used on the Mac. And I know a lot of people use Charles Proxy. Are there any other? And then obviously instruments. You know, you mentioned that, you know, measuring stuff in Xcode there. Anything else that you use that you found really powerful? I mean, what's always really fun to understanding an API is also Postman. Uh, I'm not, not sure if you know it. Like that's yeah. just you, you you catch some requests and do some replay to to see okay if you just want to know how does the backend respond. Uh, yep. That's a lot of fun, and also just it's always good if you have a good backend that is easy to set up to run locally. That's also usually a lot of fun when you have the app hooked up to your local backend uh, and right. really. Seeing like how does the, the the HTTP request go in? What does it do? Uh, but for that, of course, if the backend is a completely different technology, it's hard for you to maybe understand what's going on. But it's also usually a lot of fun playing around with the backend. Then, what are some other things developers should know about when it comes to some of this stuff? Like whether it's error tracking or dealing with errors and things like that in their app. Some other things to know about. I think one thing maybe that just came to my mind is that what you never want is that your users start complaining, right? So if there's something wrong, uh, you should even know before your users, right? So it doesn't matter which tool you're using, but I think one of the, the key aspects is if you, for example, release a new feature and it's maybe critical and you it might be that some things are crashing or some things are not working properly, as soon as you release it um, and it's really Maybe you tested it well, you have good test coverage, you have CI pipelines, you have QAs that even tested it. And then suddenly somewhere out in the real world, it starts uh, breaking down. And you want to know this immediately, right? So there should be maybe something that, I don't know, your phone starts beeping or ringing and it tells you, hey, look at this, there's something going on, there's something happening. And and you should, as soon as your users start writing bad reviews, you should already be fixing the bug and not just waiting for, I don't know, bad app store reviews or maybe custom support telling you, hey, you know, this feature is broken. A good thing is, I mean, if you set it up properly, it doesn't matter what you're using. You already know. I think that's also helps you to sleep better if you if you release something that's maybe... Yeah, um, I would say so. Could crash. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned something about customer support. Is there any way to help? Like, let's say you're a bigger company and you have like a support team. What are some ways that can help you identify what you might see in your, your error tracking applications, such as as Sentry, help you connect your support to to what might be tracked in your in in, in something like Sentry, for instance? I just know like I don't know all the integrations we're having at Sentry. I just know we have plenty of integrations. So I think what's also really cool is if your error tracking tool supports those uh, different types of integrations. So for example, if you're using uh, Chira to keep track of the bugs that okay. you're having. So, for example, in Sentry, what you can easily do is you could just, you know, there's a, a major crash happening and you could even set some rules, some thresholds. Okay, if a crash is happening, I don't know, 100 times within a minute or something, just please create a uh, Java ticket. Could also be a GitHub issue nice. uh, with some links and it will just, you know, pop up in, in Jira. It would also notify maybe some people that you want, uh, okay, that some developers are looking into it. And maybe if your support engineers that use whatever platform they're using, they can maybe then look into Jira or also into, into Sentry and see, okay, those are the, the current major bugs right now that are happening. And you could also directly see, okay, is somebody already working on it? Or maybe the people could comment in Jira and, and say, okay, some users added this information, um, some context that's happening. Because I also know that uh, Jira has a very good integration, or Zendesk, for example. That Zendesk, is really I was going to say Zendesk, yeah. Yeah, they have a good integration to Jira as well. And 
it really depends on your and your technology stack that you're using. So I could imagine that there are multiple ways where you could link those systems together to get a better overview of what is uh, happening currently. So before we close out, one more question that I had was, what are some things that managers can do to kind of help their development team handle these errors and track what they should be tracking when it comes to like performance and things like that? I think one of the most important things is that um, managers give their team the time uh, to look at errors and also kind of including into the daily uh, process. Uh, and also, especially uh, when you, for example, release a new feature that you plan on giving a team time uh, that there might be bugs, that they can fix it and they're not already busy with building the next uh, big feature. And I think also kind of setting clear expectations, you know, I think what most people don't do is, you know, uh, thinking about, okay, what, what is acceptable, you know, how many errors do we want? So how many crash-free users or crash-free sessions do we want to have? What should we fix immediately? So if you immediately fix every single small crash or minor bug that comes in, especially if you get bigger, you won't be doing anything else than just fixing bugs. And you, you won't get anything done. So I think you should also set clear expectations. Okay, what what types of crashes, what types of issues are things that where really everybody needs to stop and we need to immediately fix this? And then also give an understanding, okay, uh, maybe some other features are delayed because of that. And what are the things that can maybe wait? Um, so maybe I do like once a week where I just fix some bugs or something, depending also um, how many issues you're having. And I think that that's... that's that's a few things that uh, managers can do. And also giving kind of clear responsibilities. So uh, before I joined Sentry, I worked at my sugar where when I, the last year, we went like 10 to 15 Android engineers. And what was always was really tricky was like, who whose responsibility is it to fix certain bugs, you know? Because the application gets bigger and there may be some parts that nobody ever touches. And then you need, need to clearly set expectations. Okay, who is going to look into Sentry? on a regular daily basis and maybe is uh, taking a look at the things that are crashing and distributing this to the correct teams and, and kind of, yeah, distributing the bugs that are happening. W- what is pretty cool in Sentry, for example, is that on GitHub, there are code owners that you can define, for example. So like certain errors that are uh, owned by certain teams or certain people. So if your app gets starting bigger and bigger, you just have those folders maybe in, in, in GitHub. And you can link those directly to Sentry. So if you set everything up properly and there's, there's an issue happening somewhere, I don't know, in the Bluetooth stack that you're building, those issues in Sentry would automatically uh, be assigned to the correct people and the people would also get some notifications if you set them up. So I think like, yeah, distributing this properly is something that yeah can also help the team to succeed. Hey folks, I wanted to thank a sponsor of today's episode, Sentry. Sentry is the way to track errors and understand performance issues in your app. It's super easy to integrate. They have a Swift package as well as CocoaPod and other ways you can integrate their tool set into your app. If you want to know why your app is crashing or whether there are certain edge cases that happen, Sentry is definitely the way to go. Simply go to Sentry.io today and check out their tool set and sign up. It's really easy to get started and it's the way I'm tracking errors and understanding what's going on. They have a great team that will support you and help you get started. So go to the link in the show notes below and try Sentry today. Thank you again to Sentry for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, that's that's an awesome idea. We we all here in the Apple space, we always talk about how we wish Apple did a better job with triage. 
Uh, it's like a constant thing in the Apple ecosystem because you feel like your feedback goes into a black hole. But but it is important to triage, right? Like it's not not like you said. As engineers, we want that hundred percent, right? We want everything to be fixed, but sometimes that's not like the best option if you're only yeah, yeah, sure. affecting very yeah. small amounts of your customer base. So yeah, I love that. That's a great point. I'm going to ask you one more question because we don't usually have Android developers on this podcast, but I'm just <laughs> yeah. kind of curious, like you've, you've been doing iOS, iOS development for about maybe like two years or so, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Since you joined Sentry, what's been your biggest... I don't know. What's kind of like your compare and contrast? What do you feel about working in the, in the Swift and Apple space as opposed to, yeah. I'm assuming Kotlin, Kotlin and Android space. What's been your biggest revelation as far as the differences between the two ecosystems? Yeah, biggest revelation. I mean, I maybe start with, with uh, uh, just some background. So when I studied, that was, yeah, that's already a couple of years ago, maybe like nine years ago. I once touched Xcode. And also highest development, I touched Objective-C. So before that, I was used to Java and C-sharp. And I was thinking like, what the hell is this? And Xcode, I hated it. It was so, it just didn't work properly. The whole thing was so different, you know, like Apple is. Were you a Visual Studio person? No, no. I didn't also like Visual Studio. Uh, but then I, really? I started okay. doing, no, no. Visual Studio code is is pretty excellent. Uh, well, yeah, but Visual obviously. Studio, yeah, I mean, Visual Studio... Because uh, you said then, C sharp, uh, that's why I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also did C sharp, yeah. Before I did Android, I did C sharp. Yeah, I was a C sharp developer as well. Yeah, I mean, Visual Studio was pretty nice. It was way better than Xcode back then. Um, right. I didn't touch it the last five years, maybe, so I have no clue how it's it's looking yeah, like. Same here. Right same now, here. yeah. Uh, but then I, I started, you know, on the university, I was playing around with Java a lot, and I was used to IntelliJ idea. And then at some point in my first job. There was just an opening where they asked, like, hey, do you want to do Android? And I just kind of went into it. And then Android Studio was like, oh, my God, that's such a nice idea. You know, you can refact everything. And it was before people made jokes about Gradle that everything took hours. So this to was a, this was actual yeah. Android Development Studio and not Eclipse. Because from what I remembered with Android Development, a lot of it used to be in Eclipse. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I started when Android Studio was already getting popular. Okay. So okay. I missed out on Eclipse. So I was lucky back there, <laughs> back then. <laughs> And yeah, then I did just did do Android development. But um, as for, I mean, Android engineers especially notice. So uh, you need such a powerful computer right now to be able to do Android development. I mean, now with the new MacBook Pros, I think you're pretty fine. It takes like ages. Gradle was always a nightmare. And but anyway, it was it was fun and I, I and enjoyed doing it. And then when I joined Sentry, we already had some Android engineers, and I just had to jump on on Apple. So I had to learn Objective C and Swift. And I completely changed uh, my way of thinking. You know, I always felt, okay, uh, I'm not really thinking too much about the ecosystem. You know, I, I'm thinking about the development principles that are true for every language. And loads of things are actually pretty similar between Android and, and, and iOS. And after a while, I actually started really liking Objective-C because I think it's actually a really, really nice language. I mean, despite of all the verbosness, you have to write so many lines of code and like those brackets. But at some point, if you get used to it, I think the API designs and everything are pretty neat. And and I, I really liked writing Objective-C and I still do because I, on a daily basis, all the SDK code is still written in Objective-C mostly. Yes, yeah, it is. And then 
after being working for Sentry for, I don't know, a couple of months, I helped out on the Android SDK and I had this moment where suddenly like Java looked super weird to me, you know. I was looking at Java and Kotlin code and I was like, oh my God, what is this? This looks so ugly and Java, you know, I also don't like Java. Java is a really, uh, I mean, on Android you're stuck with Java 6, 7-ish or something. So it's also not great. Oh, is your, Java, is your Android SDK in Java still? Yes, yes, still yeah, in Java. Okay. Because yeah. some right. customers, you know, we also have like a plain, it's a Java SDK, so people also use it on the backend. And especially on the backend, Kotlin is not that popular and they just don't want to add this extra one megabyte. And, you know, that's why it's still in Java. So, yeah, so at some point I really started to liking Objective-C and I really still uh, like it. I'm also, you know, almost a fan of Xcode. I mean, we all know like it's sometimes it really uh, can be a pain. But some things are really, really nice. Like it's it's faster than Android Studio. It's some the testing API. So like for performance and things are really, really amazing. So if you once get used to this um, error messages that just pointing in completely weird directions, if you kind of, you know, at some point start understanding this, I actually really started to like uh, Xcode and Objective-C because it's really stable and also blazingly fast compared uh, to Android. And this now brings me to your question, right? So what are the, the different gotchas? Yeah, so Android Studio is still, you know, it's way nicer. I still think that uh, Kotlin uh, is a way cooler language than Swift. So there's a few things that, you know, that you can express with a few words in Kotlin than you can do in Swift. So the language is putting a lot of thought into making it ex- very, very precise and easy to, to write and to understand. But on the other hand, I mean, Android Studio is so loaded with so many features that whenever I open it up, it takes two minutes until it's ready to, you know, updating all the indexes and doing so many things. And Xcode usually, um, and I'm just talking about SDKs, you know, our SDKs are pretty small. So if you open up a, a real world app, it takes like for ages. So that, that are like two, two things like Android Studio being very powerful, but really slow and Xcode having way less features, but it kind of makes sense because all those features kind of work uh, and they're fast. And yeah, that's maybe a short summary. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah. I've never dealt, I have, you know, I'll sometimes get into Android development just to try it out, but never really like spent time on it. But yeah, I find that, find that interesting. Anything else you wanted to mention before we close out? On this, this on the Android versus iOS topic? <laughs> or no, just the error in general, like <laughs> as far as like error tracking or any of that stuff. I think we covered it. It seems like yeah, it, right? Yeah, mostly. Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Philip, for coming on the yeah. show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, was fun talking about error monitoring and Android and iOS. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, where can people find you online? Of course, on Twitter. My username is Phil underscore underscore Hoffman. Because Phil underscore Hoffman was already blocked, um, taken by somebody else. <laughs> uh, of course, on GitHub, you know, Sentry, Cocoa SDK. Uh, we also have a Discord channel. So the easiest way to find it is just go in GitHub. There's a link for Discord. Yeah, that, that are maybe the easiest way to reach, reach out to me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I will have a link to some of your blog posts as well. People can find me on Twitter. I'm at LeoGDM. My company is Bright Digit. Uh, take some time to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube and if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast player please uh, post a review or subscribe it's been fun and I look forward to talking to you in a couple weeks with our next episode have a good one bye bye